Welcome to the Philacrosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. How's it going, everybody? I hope you've been enjoying these lacrosse conversations as much as I have. For more content like this, check out these resources. A Lacrosse Weekend, my weekly blog comes out on Saturdays. You can subscribe at jm3blog.com. The JM3 Sports YouTube channel has been upgraded with a ton of great content. Please subscribe and check it out. I think you'll like it. And then last is the Coaches Training Program, our most updated and cutting-edge content all the principles-based across stuff, plus hundreds of webinars, endless drills, and a really cool office hours component that allows coaches to come on and interact, watch film, talk lacrosse, do Q&A. I think you'll really like it. Um, I hope you all have a great 2023 and so glad it's lacrosse season. How's it going, everybody? Really excited to welcome Sean Woods to the Philacrosophy podcast. Sean is the head coach at Amherst College spent 10 years as the head coach at Colorado college where he went to eight NCAA tournaments. And then prior to that Mars Hill for five years was an assistant at Brown, went to Hartwick, grew up in uh, Rhode Island, my hometown and played at uh, my rival high school, Providence country day. Um, Sean really fired up to have you on the show and talk lacrosse with you. Thanks Jamie. Really appreciate it. I'm a big fan of the show. So I'm excited to be on. Yeah, man. Fired up to talk some lacrosse and um, let's talk a little Amherst lacrosse. Give us an update. How are things going? You guys are getting right into it right now, aren't you? Yeah, things are great. Uh, we're today will be day five of preseason. Uh, as you know, in the NESCAC, we don't have fall ball, like organized fall ball with coaches. So kind of the, the biggest drought in, in coaching in my my 20 year coaching career. So I'm really excited to be out there with the guys. The energy is electric. Um, you know, we've got a a, a new, you know, new 13 young men on campus who have brought a, a cool energy to the team and the older guys have done a really good job kind of implementing them into the program. So it's been a great, great four days and just excited to have week two going here. Yeah. So this is year two, right? Correct. And um, how is the building of the culture um, sort of transitioning from year one to year two? And how do you kind of view that as this ongoing process of building you know, the kind of team and people that you want? Uh, it's It's been great. I mean, year one, I think, was fantastic. I mean, the guys were the the bright spot amongst many bright spots here at Amherst. They were really dedicated to to restarting the culture, to moving forward as a lacrosse program, both on and off the field. And I think the guys just did a really good job evolving into, like, my philosophy of of how to run a program. And, and I think they were pretty excited when, when I got the job and explained to them how I was going to run the program, I, th I just think it's so important to involve your players in, in the development of your culture and, and empower them to, to really come up with their own core values. You know, I, when we, when we put together our team standards, we did it with our, with our whole team. When we came up with our core values, we did it with our whole team. And, you know, we have all four classes represented on our leadership council. We have all four classes represented on all our committees. So um, I just think a very player driven philosophy I think was really exciting for them to kind of jump in with both feet and you know as we transition into year two here uh, I really think we're even stronger just we've, we've allowed our to you know build trust together they know me a lot more than 
than uh, they did a year ago. And, and I know them a lot more than, than I did a year ago. So it's just been fun to really, you know, build those relationships and, and build that culture on, on an even deeper and stronger level. So it's been a, a fantastic transition for the, the year and a half I've been here. Awesome. You, you mentioned that you, when you explain your philosophies to the team, would you mind explaining them to us um, so that we can have an understanding of how you built these philosophies in this culture and what a player driven culture really means? So player-driven culture for me and, and how, how we run the program here is we just involve our players in, in every everything, uh, our day-to-day, our big-picture stuff. Um, we meet with our players once every three weeks individually. Uh, we meet with our leadership council every two weeks. We meet with our captains once a week. This is in the off-season as well as in the regular season. And we meet with our whole entire team every few weeks, even in the off-season. And those are just – we call them mammoth meetings. Those, those are culture meetings. We're talking about – we're recognizing – people who are living our core values. Um, we're, we're bringing alumni mentorship into those meetings. We're, we're having uh, conversations about what our team identity is on and off the field. Um, I just think, you know, again, like to develop a culture in a really positive way and have the, the dedication of your players, they have to be involved in, in how that culture is and, and created as well as how it lives. So um, they, they were really excited. They, they kind of, you know, again, they jumped in with both feet. They were, we have uh, we have committees um, that that are from top to bottom. We have a branding committee that actually like picks out our helmet decals and designs our gloves. We have a community engagement committee where we meet you know at least once every three weeks to talk about opportunities that the team can can go without you know outside of academics and lacrosse that are in the community and the campus. Uh, we have a diversity equity inclusion committee which is really important here at Amherst. So we want to mirror the values of the of the institution and. That's our most engaged committee. They're they're always looking for events that can really deepen our our, our relationships and and uh, our impact in that space. So our players are are involved in in every level of our program. Um, and then when we meet as leadership council, we talk about practice plans. We talk about you know to talk about lacrosse a little bit. We talk about how the pace of the practice is going, how how the um, you know, how drills are going. Should we mix up the transition drills? Should we go individuals later in practice? Do you think the competition level is high enough? Do we need to hold our players more accountable? So it's not just the coaches stepping into the room and saying, these are our core values. This is our team identity. This is our team standards. It's our whole team developing them together. And I think when you are able to do that, and and we've successfully been able to do it here at Amherst, and I did it at Colorado College, the dedication from the players uh, collectively and individually is really high. How do you um, get your... um players to help with the accountability piece for all of these values. Yeah. Well, I think the, the, the off season is really important for that. Um, obviously every two weeks we're meeting and we are recognizing people in the room who have lived out those core values, you know, here we're, we're humble, we're engaged, we're resilient and we're driven it spells out herd. We're the man mammoth, such a fifth value in itself, our mammoth family. And every meeting that we have, we lead off with, okay, who's who's been a really humble teammate these last few weeks? Who's been a really engaged teammate, resilient, driven? And the last one, who's been a really good family member these last couple of weeks? So I think by recognizing people who are living those core values and showing instances where they're living those core values and being specific with that, it, it's, it's a rewarding culture. Um, it's not just saying, go do it and expecting them to do it. Um, and then from the player accountability piece, um, our leadership's really great. You know, we meet with them frequently to make sure things are going well off the field. You know, we'll ask hard questions and we have hard conversations. And um, I think that's really important as well. And then you look at on the field, 
I actually think, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm selfishly, I would love to be out on the, on the field with them in the fall coaching and getting to build those relationships and build that trust. But I think one thing that the, you know, the, the open lacrosse here, you know, people would refer to that as captain's practices. We're not allowed to call them that here, but the open lacrosse sessions they have in the fall, I think that's when player accountability can really develop that way. When we get our hands on them, in the spring, you know, they're used to their teammates calling each other out. They're used to being pushed by the leadership. Um, so I do think that on the field player accountability is actually really strong in the NESCAC because, you know, they, they have to, there's no coaches out there in the fall. So I think on the field and off the field, that's kind of how we do things around here. Love it. Um, you mentioned branding as far as logos and equipment and helmet stickers and stuff like that, but if you were to sort of try to describe the Amherst brand as to how you play, what would that brand be? How would you describe that to a recruiter or a parent or what do you want it to be? On the field? Yes. Uh, we're very up-tempo. Um, that's that's my philosophy always has been. Obviously, you need to examine your personnel and make sure that it fits into the identity of, of your strengths and weaknesses as individuals, as well as collectively as a team. Um, but I think I would describe us as a really hardworking team as well. We're, we're a gritty group. Uh, we care about ground balls. We care about doing the little things, right? We always talk about doing things the hard way. The hard way around here is the right way. And I think the guys have really bought into that. Um, you know, obviously we, you need skilled players to, to be a great lacrosse team but I think the heart and soul of, of our of our team is definitely in in the details, the the ground ball play, you know, the riding, the hustle plays, the winning plays, we call them. So I think around here, you have to go a little extra. You have to go a little harder. You have to do a little bit more on your own off the field. You have to dedicate yourself at a little higher level than than possibly other programs do um, because it's it's Amherst. You know, we we talk about success being a way of life. You can't just be successful in the classroom and on the field. Um, you know, you've got to be a really good family man to your family and you can't compartmentalize those. You can't just be a great lacrosse player and not be a great student and consider yourself a successful individual. So we talk about success being a way of life around here. So family first, academic second, lacrosse third. If you can check those three boxes and really feel that you're being successful in those three realms, then then you're you're an amateur lacrosse player. Love it. Um, all right, let's switch gears. Can you tell me a little bit about your offensive philosophy and how your experiences along the way um, have brought you to where you are now? Yeah, great question. Um, I, I think I would describe my offensive philosophy as, as multiple. Uh, I think I, I like to have lots of different wrinkles within certain sets from a settled standpoint. I like to have lots of options in transition um, I think, you know, from top to bottom, you have to be a team that's elusive. You have to be, have a lot of deception to your game to be successful um, at a high level. So I think the word multiple would come to mind. I did do like to have a, a lot of a lot of tools in the belt. Um, we, we currently will have, you know, three set offenses in. we plan on installing two more. And in those offenses, there's a lot of wrinkles. Um, but that might lead you to believe that I have a lot of rules and, and very black and white with with how I run an offense. And that's just not the case. I think we, we don't have a lot of rules when it comes to the offense. Obviously we have sets and things that we want our guys to do, but we, we try to just let our guys be creative and give them the, the tools they need to be successful. And 
the the terminology that you need to to apply that um, into a settled or a transition offense. So um, I would say multiple, and I think that you know that, that the, one of the reasons why I'm I'm multiple would probably be my experience at, at Washington College uh, under JB Clark. Um, to give you a little bit of relative experience, he's uh, he taught me a lot about you know varying up offenses and not just you know, having a couple different offenses, but having lots of different wrinkles that the guys can use on their own terminology that the guys can use on their own when the ball's moving around. So I think that really opened my eyes. Uh, not to say we didn't play a lot of different offenses on at Brown. Coach Nelson definitely had a lot of tricks in the bag, but um, empowering your players within those sets and within those opportunities is something I picked up from, from Coach Clark and, you know, I've have taken along the way in my, you know, 15 years of, of, of head coaching. So that that's probably where I would start. Um, and then I think that the pace at which we play and the pace at which I like to play as an offensive philosophy is very fast. You know, you've got to, you've got to push transition and you've got to, you've got to make sure you're scoring goals off face-offs in the ride. You know, you've got to find ways to score goals, not just in six on six, especially here in the NESCAC where we learned a, a valuable lesson last year that, Scoring 14 goals a game isn't going to win you the NESCAC. You know, you've got to you've got to score 18, 19 goals a game to to win this league. And you you can't just do that by playing good six on six play. So we're going to be, you know, even more focused on on transition, on riding, on you know, getting out of our end quicker. So I think fast is is another word that would be applied to to my offensive philosophy as well. How does fast apply to the six on six and the all even? Uh, I, th I think a lot of a lot of mixing in isolation dodges with with two man play would be sort of a cornerstone of, of of our offenses. I think we we like to tell our guys that there's no such thing as as a bad pick or a bad seal or a bad exchange or a bad up pick or a bad pass down pick down. We want our guys to utilize all those things: a GLE pick, a razor pick. We want them to, to in the flow of the the, the settled offense. Those should all be things you're thinking about. And as the ball moves and as people move, you should start to process when's a good time to do that. And I think our guys you know, are coming along. That's something we struggled with toward the end of last week was the creativity and when to when to set those 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 off ball screens or on ball picks. Um, but I think that's so important to, to mix in, you know, dodging with with two man play um, and, and do it in a bunch of different ways that's not scripted. That you can't scout. And I think that's something that we started to do a really good job of midway through our season last year, which kind of allowed us to really start to score more goals and take better shots and win some games. So I think that's a big part of it is, you know, empowering your players to be creative with, with how you work together with another person um, as well as other people. You mentioned off ball screens which I guess is just your terminology picks is on ball screens is off ball. So you might, that's how I've always phrased it. Yeah. Our, our team slips and steals and picks all fall into the category of screens off ball. Um, how big of an emphasis is that? And how do you teach that? I think we, you know, we do a lot of four on fours around here. We do a lot of four on four plus one where there's a feeder behind where he can't, you know, he can't come above GLE. Um, I think that really helps with the timing of those exchanges, those seals, you know, I just think you have to practice it in, in, in a lot of different ways. We do a lot of big little from behind. So we do a lot of two on twos around here, especially in the preseason. And then you just have to show them, you know, OK, when when you arrive at, at a pick, you know, you've got to make sure you've got separation from your man. I think that's a big key of it. You know, I think I watched a podcast with you and the Brian coach. And I love the term he used detached. You know, you got to arrive 
at that pick, you know, getting ready to set a pick or a screen or a swivel pick or a flyby or a slip. You've got to be detached from your man. I love that terminology. I stole that. And I think that's a big part of it. Like, you know, once you get the, the separation, it gives you so many more options and it makes it so much more dangerous when you arrive there. Um, but I think you also need to watch a lot of film. You need to show them what a bad pick is. You need to show them what a good pick is. You need to show them when there's a great opportunity to set a pick or an off-ball seal. And I think just, you know, reviewing all that is really important. So I think just lots of reps, lots of film, and overall just, you know, teaching decision-making and when to do things I think is is a big part of our preseason and something that as, as we picked up momentum last week, we started to understand that. Um, and then obviously spacing, you know. Uh, spacing is huge, especially with two-man play. You know, you might you got to make sure that that exchange is happening, you know, earlier, so you're not in the you know the same passing lane when when the feeder has his hands free. Um, we have a, a hand grenade rule around here that you know you can't you if you if one hand grenade can blow up more than one of you when the feeder has his hands free, you, we aren't properly spaced. And I think the guys have kind of taken to that, uh, especially last week when we sort of installed it. So, um, in in terms of the arriving. De- detached or as uh, Alex drama says it uh, triple a rating always arrive alone um mm-hmm. you you focus on that off ball as well as on ball uh we do yeah, yeah we do definitely and I think there's deception there uh that, that you need to be a part of I think sometimes lazy body language can really help you uh do that like just kind of like okay I'm gonna cut to the crease and then you you know fly by or or I'm gonna cut to the crease and then you had set a hard screen off ball. And I think, um, you know, we we try and we try and use deception uh, as much as we can. And I think that can have a lot to do with it. But definitely getting that separation between you and your man before you set a screen or a pick is, is something that I think is 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 next level and something that we need to do a better job of. Actually, this week, we're going to focus on that. Yeah, really great stuff. Um, you mentioned deception a couple of times. Um, how, how do you apply that? And, and you also mentioned creativity. And I kind of look at creativity and deception as not not synonymous, but very related. Um, creativity being trying to find other solutions, which oftentimes involves deception, so that the uh, your your opponent doesn't know what you're doing. You're doing it a different way to to be deceptive. How do you apply that and teach that to your team, um, both you know individually with the their abilities to dodge and shoot and feed as well as you kind of you did kind of touch on this in two man but how do you how do you sort of um continue to stress that i just think you know we again you you have to you have to practice a lot you have to encourage your guys to be creative you know you have to tell our tell your guys that they have a lot of freedom within the offense because i think people are going to be you know diff- deceptive in different ways you know we have a a big 65 250 left-handed shooter. He's probably not going to be the quickest guy to, to get to a, you know, detached pick. Um, however, you've got a, a, we have a five, eight really fast midfielder, uh, Matty Adams, who is, is just, he's one of the best isolation Dodgers I've ever coached. And, you know, we, I think when, when we look at deception, you have to look at it in a lot of different ways. How can a six, five, 250 person be deceptive? How can a five, eight, 170 pound person be deceptive, be deceptive. And I, th- I think it, it, it becomes part of like who you are. Like you have to know your strengths and weaknesses as a player. And we meet with them frequently. Like I said, those individual meetings we have every couple of weeks are great times to watch one-on-one film. You watch all the plays that Maddie Adams had that day uh, with our huddle breakdowns. And we're able to see, okay, this is a really good move here. You know, that your, your defender really was convinced you were going to take the alley 
and boom, now you're in the middle, you know? And I think like, you know, playing with the drift, I think is something that, that allows you to be really deceptive. We coach that drift a lot around here. Um, you know, as you sweep and you fade into the wing area, that that drift is, is a really great way to be deceptive, you know, whether you're the sweeper or the drifter. That to me is something we we overcoach. We 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 play with that drift at least two drills a day, at least in the preseason. And um, just those different, you know, two man games, whether it be the drift or, you know, a, a big little at X or, or some, you know, mirrors up from the wing. I think the more you can practice that, the more the guys are able to develop their own deception. So just empowering them to be creative and not putting a lot of rules with our offensive game. And then just being able to coach in the film room and reward, you know, creativity as it does pop up. Yeah. Rewarding creativity as it does pop up is such a smart way to say it because no matter how much you tell people to be creative, people have a tendency to kind of do the same thing over and over and over. Particularly right. if you're like, I want you to set picks. Well, mm -hmm. what will they do? They will do a pass down, pick down and project what they're doing. And then the Dodger will project that he's using it. Obviously, you're trying to get them to arrive detached, which involves that's a huge part of the deception piece. Right. So they're all doing that. But it's the same thing with the Dodger. You know, how often, you know, a pick is great to use, but it's just as good not to use. Right. right? I mean, right. And, and, and just reviews that thing and like set yourself up for going a different direction that the defenders begin to get, uh, you know, they are going to defend everything you do, including all your deception. So uh, yeah. I love that reward. I think putting, putting to take it a step further, Jamie, I think like putting labels on, on certain things, like calling an up pick something, calling a goal line pick something, calling a razor pick something, uh, calling a scissor rotation something, calling, you know, I think if you if you have a similar terminology and you and you present it to them so they know what that word means. So let's just say that, like you said, like they're just they're just going to defer to a pass down pick down because you're telling them to set picks. But if you remind them, hey, you can set an upper there, you can set a gator there, you know, you can set a, a Rambo there, like whatever it might be. Um, label it that way. Like you can sure. coach on the fly pretty effectively and efficiently, and you can be really efficient in the, in the, the film room as well. That's really helped us. Okay. They can communicate it. And that's, yeah. you know, so back to your philosophy of being multiple, you know, it really does come down to changing things up and being creative. The multiple being multiple means running different sets, but it also means using lots of different picks. And it also means getting into those, picks in all different ways you know you could do a pass down pick down by sealing your own man first and then running down to set the pick or you could backdoor your guy and hook back around uh, right. or you could slip it and come back on a repick and there's just so many ways to of, of being multiple and I, honestly i feel like that's one of the hardest things to get kids to do because again they tend to just get into habits right doing the same thing over and over and over and maybe if they just did something different every time they'd have you know, it would be, it would be a successful way to kind of get them to be multiple, get them to be deceptive and creative. That's right. And, and I think just have giving them different ways of moving off ball. We have, you know, static off ball movement, we have pairs off ball movement, and then we have free off ball movement, which allows them to just be completely free and uninhibited. So I think, you know, you can kind of turn that knob. Let, let's just say you're in a game and, you know, the guys just aren't, aren't, aren't being as creative. Maybe they're a little tight, a little nervous. You can kind of tighten the reins a little bit. But I think, you know, for the most part, we want to have that pair off ball movement. We want, to, we want to have that free off ball movement, you know, and I think, you know, sometimes I mean, I've heard you talk about it on your podcast a bunch, 
you know, you can have a pair on the ball, then you can have a three-man game on the backside with a with an outlet at X. I think giving them different, you know, strategically sets where they where they have a little bit more freedom as well as has been really fun to, to play with, um, especially the last couple of years at here at Amherst. Really interesting. All right, switch gears again. Let's talk a little bit about your defensive philosophy and kind of how you came to that um, through your experiences along the way. Right. Um, I've, I've coached defense, you know, maybe four or five years as a head coach. Um, so predominantly I've been on the offensive side of the ball, but defensively speaking, my philosophy is you have to be disruptive. You have to know your personnel to know what you're really good at, um, to know how to be disruptive. So I think zeroing in just like you do on the offensive end on, on your strengths and weaknesses individually and collectively will sort of decide how you, that team will, will play. Um, but I, 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 I'm definitely just like my offensive philosophy. I, I like to play up tempo. I like to pressure. I like to be multiple. Um, you know, this year we'll have a, a couple ways of doing things. We'll have a, you know, sort of a crease sliding offense as well as a, a neon or near man. Um, we'll have two different zones. Um, you know, I think being multiple is, is really uh, an important part of, of being disruptive. Uh, you know, we, we shut the shorties a, a decent amount around here to, to make things a little different possession by possession. Um, but that's, you know, I, so I think being multiple and being disruptive aren't mutually exclusive. Um, I also am very, very lucky to have, have in my opinion, the, the best defensive coordinator in the country in Richard Carrington. Um, him and I had coached together at Mars Hill. And he was the, other than my wife, he was the first call I made when I got the job here was to come here and, and run our defense. And, and we share that same philosophy. We always have of being multiple, being disruptive and here at Amherst, when you're coaching really hardworking, ambitious, high achieving, smart young men, they can absorb that information. Um, and, and I think that's one, one thing that's been really fun is, is, how quickly we've been able to, to be multiple on both sides of the ball because of the athletes we get to coach. So I think, you know, being multiple and being disruptive are a big part of, of our game. Um, you know, making sure that the opponent doesn't get comfortable possession to possession. Um, you know, we have, a, we have a way of fooling our, our, our opponent into thinking that we're man to man, but we're not, we're actually in a zone. Uh, we we, we kind of got really good at that toward the end of last season, became probably one of our strengths defensively. One of our biggest strengths defensively was was being really, you know, really confusing to to scout and confusing to play against. Um, but you, you put that environment along with a bunch of really good on ball defensemen and smart off ball players. Uh, I think it, it creates a really, really fun way of running a defense and, and a really disruptive way of running a defense. And quite frankly, playing six on six and playing full field scrimmages this weekend against uh, this multiple defense of uh, having experience with, with that as the offense coordinator, it, it can be really frustrating. And, and it's really, which makes it a lot of fun uh, when, when, when they're wearing Amherst jerseys. What are the principles of your defense that would run through these different zones and different slide packages, but what are the things that are consistent all the way through? Give up the shots we want to give up. I think is a huge one. I think, you know, we, we have, we have a really strong goalies here. Uh, we're in a big competition right now. I think that's a big thing we talk about. Um, I think playing defense inside out is, is huge. You know, we, I, we'd much rather, obviously this is not anything, you know, earth shattering, but we'd much rather give up a step down than, than any kind of crease look. Uh, communication is, is the cornerstone of, of all that. Uh, you've got to make sure that everybody's on the same page I'd rather seven guys be wrong doing it together 
than, than six guys be right and, and one guy be wrong. Um, I think that's really important. You know, I think our guys need to be on the same page and how you get on the same page is by, by talking. And, and we're something we, we had to talk a lot about this weekend is, is how you communicate, not just what you say, but the, the inflection that you use in your voice as you communicate, it has, has to have urgency to it. It has to make your teammates alert. It has to make your teammates believe in you and have confidence in you. And that's something that we, we, we overcoach is, is how we communicate, what we communicate, the level at which we say it uh, volume and cadence wise. So I, I think that's huge is getting your all seven guys in your defensive end on the same page um, is a big one. Does being multiple in and of itself, um, help you become a better communicating team it definitely does it, it absolutely does um especially as you go possession to possession and defense to defense you have to communicate uh if you're not a good communicating team you can't be a multiple team and we say that a lot around here it's it's the truth you know you've got to make sure um that, that everyone understands what defense we're in because we have different rules for each defense you know different emphasis with each defense and that's that's really important how do you play the ball? Do you tend to try to pressure um, or is it player by player or is that part of being multiple? It's part of being multiple. You know, we, we definitely have different pressure levels for different defenses. Um, but for the most part, given the fact that especially this year um, and, and toward the end of the last year, when we kind of hone in on our strengths defensively, we are definitely going to be, be getting out on the ball a little bit more. Uh, even than we did last year. I, th I think it's really important. Um, and, dip, you know, obviously being multiple involves the shot clock, right? Um, you know, seeing what what how much time is on the shot clock and do we have enough space between the ball and, and the defense to to change, um, you know, to, to go into a different defense. So I think that has a lot to do with with how, how multiple we can be as well. How does the offense let us change mid-possession? You know, that's something we work on our offense a lot is we're constantly attacking the goal so we won't let the defense change mid-possession. And um, that's something we look for. You know, if there's an opportunity, somebody pulls it out or ball trickles away for an easy ground ball for the offense, let's go from, you know, purple to silver. You know, let's go let's go uh, from, you know, we're going to dig every pick. We're going to double every pick. You know, let's let's shut the shorties. Let's, so I think, like, how much you change is also how depending upon how the, the offense you're playing against as well. Would you say in general you guys are like slower to go or faster to go? Would you rather play people more straight up and be hard to beat and and slide late, or would you rather kind of uh, you know give them give them uh, shade them one way and, and be ready to go early? I think we we scout it, so we have a sort of a knob there. Um, you know, we, it's definitely something we scout, and and uh, it also depends on whether they're kind of a, a pairs heavy team or not a pairs heavy team. Uh, if they're a Paris heavy team, we like to be slow to go, but we love to be really quick with the second slide, like against pairs. I love being slow to go with the one slide and then having that cold slide jump all over your hands. I think that's a great way to create a turnover. It's something that we got really good at. Coach Carrington did an awesome job of, of, of really coaching that, that we call cold slide here. Um, and we created a lot of turnovers off of that. So it just kind of depends on what, what offense we're going against. But generally speaking, I would say we're, we're we're relatively slow to go because we we have you know really good poles. Our short sure. sticks, especially this year, are going to be really good. Um, I think we have a pretty talented defense just from a from a pure skills and footwork standpoint that we can kind of at times put guys on an island. But again, pairs and deception they make you move sometimes, and we and we're in the NESCAC where we have 
you know, 10 other teams that are really good. We have to go out and play and try and beat. So there are times where we have to be, be ready to go. Uh, but I'd, I'd probably be in the corner of, of being slower to go. Um, but attacking with, with the, with the second slide when we do go. What's your, uh, what's your take and belief on, on having defensemen that can take the ball away? Are you pro checker or anti checker? Or uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm pro pressure. Uh, I'm a pro pressure guy. I, I think being in the gloves and, and being disruptive on the hands is, is something you need to, to be good at, to, to play for Amherst defense um, you know, we want ball hawks. We want guys that are going to go out and, and make it stressful to even move the ball around. And, uh, so I'm, I'm a big fan. Uh, I'm a big fan. I think there's, there's a lot of different ways you can create turnovers, you know, doubling picks or attacking cold slides. But I think it's an age old art of, you know, the takeaway defenseman. There aren't that many more of those anymore, there are. Feel, you know, and it's like, there's still, and stick technologies obviously has a lot to do with that. And how we coach it has a lot to do with it. There, there are coaches out there that, that literally don't throw checks anymore. Yeah. Um, that's not that's not us. That's not Coach Carrington. That's not that's not me. Um, we definitely have are pretty long defensively, especially with our long stick middies. So we feel like that's an area that we can really kind of pressure and go after. Um, you know, especially when they're you know 40, 45, you know, 20, excuse me, 35, 40 yards away from the goal. Um, you know, and I think when you make them that far away from the goal, those are opportunities to pressure uh, because you can react if, if it doesn't go well. And if it does go well, I mean, you're in a position on the field that, that can create transition immediately. So I'm a, I'm definitely pro pressure, Jamie, for sure. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I think, you know, coaches in general are, are reductionist, uh, you know, because they just want to, they just want to be as safe as possible. Um, and, um, and there's no doubt that you, you don't want to take stupid risks. It usually doesn't pay off for you, but, but there's a different, but, but the player development piece, you know, teaching your players how to make plays. Sometimes there is no other play to make than That's to cool. execute some, some kind of a check. And you right. see, it's, it's really interesting. I, I've, I've mentioned this on the podcast a few different times. I've really been a big fan of watching Jerry Byrne coach defense over the years. Obviously he's at Harvard now, but when he was at Notre Dame, you know, you watch all of the Notre Dame drills and, and, um, you know, and, and they were a team that didn't foul much. Um, although if you ever played against Jerry in Lake Placid, he literally goes over your head every single time you touch it. Within five seconds of being on you, he will go over your head. Now, his players, obviously, he wasn't allowing them to do that. But the way he taught V-holds and the way he taught lead poke and, and to use his stick for ball pressure, they all learned how to be checkers. Now, some of them probably came in to kind of knowing how to do it, and some of them – uh, just got better at it, but you would see an over the head check from multiple different guys, from Glazer, from Landis, from, you know, from all these different guys, you would see if they were getting inside rolled mm -hmm. and there was no chance that they were going to be able to like re recover that they would hammer them with like a back wrap and there was nothing else to do. Um, but it was like a skill level that allowed these players to do this. And, and I think that's one of the things that gets lost when when you don't develop your players and give them a chance to learn how to play, even though you, you need to have good, consistent, predictable on ball defense. But finding that finding that is um, balance, I think, is huge. I totally agree. I absolutely agree. And it's funny how a lot of people call Jerry Burns defensive conservative. But then you'll you'll see those amazing plays within his defense that, you know, he coaches. So oh. uh, I agree. I used to love watching his. De I, I still love watching his defenses play. Yeah, same. Um, 
Hey, what's your philosophy on man down? So we're, we're again, it's going to be kind of redundant here, uh, but multiple. multiple. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do think, you know, you have to, you have to keep them guessing, you know? Uh, so we'll, again, you will, one possession will be in a true five man. Next possession will lock one of their shooters. Next possession, you know, we'll, we'll be in a four round one. Um, I, I do think like, again, giving up the shots you're willing to give up is sort of needs to be the, the backbone of what you're telling your man down crew. But I think keeping the offense guessing, you know, not allowing them to settle in or run a set play, um, I think is great. I think pressure takes away set plays on man up, whether it's by locking off a guy or just five man pressure, um, you know, four man pressure. Uh, I think I think there's a lot of different ways you can keep an extra man uncomfortable. And I think by by changing it up, you know, penalty after penalty, I think is one way to do it. Um, I think we coach up a lot where, you know, where to put your sticks off ball. I think that's a lost art too. I think we, we, we actually knocked down a lot of passes last year just by having our sticks in the right spots, even though that we might be pressuring um, you got to make sure you're getting back in and getting into the lane. So you know, I think being multiple is, is, is a, an effective tool. Uh, and as a, as the offensive EMO coach uh, it's, it's pretty frustrating too. How do you, there's probably a lot of coaches on here listening that are going to be like, oh, I love this. I want to be multiple, but how do you find the balance between being multiple and being good at something? Right. Sometimes, right. you know, if you're multiple at a lot of things, but you're not that great at any of them, it's not as good yeah. as really, really good at one thing. And then as I talked about with Lars Tiffany on a podcast, you can do one thing and be very multiple within it. Um, so how would you sort of talk about those two concepts? Yeah, it's it's a great point, Jim. You know, you don't want to be jack of all trades, master of none. So I do think there's a balance there. And I think how you implement it, how you install it, how you teach it, I think is really important. Um, for instance, we don't have all our offenses in, you know, we don't have all our defenses in, you know, we're, we're actually going over man up, man down for the first time this week. Uh, it's only week two for us. So that probably makes sense. So I think like installing at the right pace is really huge. You don't want to move on too quickly. Uh, but you have to move on. That's the thing I always tell my my staff and they get frustrated with me because they don't really probably don't know exactly what that means. But uh, there are times where you feel like you, you you're just starting to scratch the surface of, you know, our, our 13 offense. But we have to move on to keep with our our identity of being multiple. So I think we try and we try and get get our off. Let's just say I use the, 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 the set 13. Let's just say we ran our 13 offense last week um, and we ran our 23 offense last week. You know, we're, we I want to get us to about like three quarters of bandwidth uh, where all our offensive guys, they know those two offenses well. And they're at like three quarters potential of running that offense to the highest you know degree possible. Then we move on. So I think like you can't get halfway there. You can't get all the way there. Otherwise, you'll never get other stuff in. But you got to get most of the way there where the team understands the concepts. They're getting pretty good at it. Um because I think if you if you tried to get perfect at it before you moved on, you wouldn't be able to be a multiple team. And if you put in, you know, if you started doing too much too early, you, you'd be jack of all trades, master of none. So I think the timing of the install is huge. Um, and you just have to you have to you have to rep it. You have to really prove to yourself you're going to be multiple by doing a bunch of different things over and over again. You may not be perfect at it, but you also get in the rhythm of of changing and changing on the fly and, and mid mid possession, changing defenses and mid mid possession, changing offenses. And that's a, that's a craft that you have to develop as well. So there's a lot of, a lot of uh, adaptation that happens over the course of a season to become multiple, 
But I think the key is to like get pretty good at it. You're never going to get great at it right away before you move on. Otherwise, you'll never be multiple. But get pretty good at it before you move on. Don't just put in a bunch of stuff and, and go out and try and run it all. I think you have to kind of inch by inch get there, but be able to move on when you feel like it's pretty good. Totally agree. I also think it's really important when you want to be multiple is to try to find the common denominators across everything. So take man down. It's like, okay, we're going to run a four man rotation and we're going to get really good at understanding ball left, right, the adjacents and skip passing lanes, being ready to rotate the backside guy ready to rotate. And, and it's like, okay, well, our five man is just simply going to be that, that, that crease guy is going to roll off sometimes and there's going to be a new guy inside on the crease, but we're still going to have to figure out ball left, right. And, and the ability to rotate within that against the different sets. And if we're going to like shut somebody off on man down, well, we're simply just going to, you know, be running our four man with, without a locked crease or maybe mm -hmm. there is. And, and so how do you sort of, um, and it's probably the same thing in the offense. I mean, you gotta be able to dodge people. You gotta be able to run two man looks and all your screens uh, off ball and your picks on ball and have various spacings. How often do you try to just uh, teach those common denominators so that being multiple isn't like starting over with something that they have to like start from scratch on because then you just wouldn't have enough time. And I think that's where a lot of people, you know, um, could probably help themselves. Right. And I think, I mean, you, you mentioned it before, like for instance, like man down, one of the things we always have to have is a ball left and a right, whether we're shutting off, whether in four man, whether in five man, I think having those, those principles to rely on in each phase of your game. You know, I'm talking specifically about man down, yep. um, but like defensively, but, you know, always having like hot, cold fill. I mean, that's, that's obviously pretty rudimentary, but uh, offensively always, always talking as an offense when the ball's on the front side, having those backside players be communicating with each other, whether they, you know, whether they're exchanging or whether they're, you know, screening, whatever it might be, yep. I think, I think it's huge. So just being, being able to, to, to articulate to your players, you know, what's most important to you as a, as a defense, as a man down unit, as an offensive unit, um, and having those sort of principles or defensively we call non-negotiables. I think those, those are huge. And, and, and we we're actually developing them now. I mean, cause we, we still want to get our eyes on our personnel before we figure out what our non-negotiables want to be last year, for instance, defensively, like no sweeps, no rollbacks. Those were two of our big defensive non-negotiables. Whereas this year we think we can be savvy enough and we have to deal with that drift in practice and in games enough where we, we, we're not going to punish our guys for getting swept. We obviously want to try and take away the middle, but when you take away the middle too much, sometimes you get smoked and then you have to move too much defensively where there's a two on one on the backside. So I, I do think like get to know your personnel so you can find the non-negotiables that you're going to be really good at. Uh, and then principles offensively as well, you know, get to know your personnel so you can figure out, okay, this guy's capable of stepping in from 14. This guy has to step in at 10 and finding different you know, ways to articulate to your offensive players what their shot selection needs to be and shot range needs to be. So I think there's a lot of education through through practice that goes on around here. And there's a lot of evaluation that goes around, on around here that can help us get to those principles and non-negotiables. Really cool. How would you say you and your staff spend your time as far as learning, continuing education. Um, let's talk about you personally first, and you can mention the staff if you do some exercises, but whether it be books or podcasts um, that you could share, um, film, 
watching pro lacrosse, watching box lacrosse, meetings with coaches. Um, maybe you could share a little bit about how you try to get better. I think I think it's got to be all of the above. I mean, there's so much out there these days. This podcast is awesome. Um, you know, there's there's videos from the convention. Uh, we we try and be really active in the fall. You know, we were at Harvard, we were at Providence, we were at UMass, we were at Yale. Um, you know, we try and you know, and it, what's great about our sport, and you know this, Jamie. Like coaches want to collaborate. They're okay with you showing up and watching practice and asking questions because it keeps them sharp. And plus, they 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 want to. It's part of part of the brotherhood that it, that is amongst our coaching staffs. Yeah. Is they're they're willing to do that. I've never said no to anybody that said, "Can I come watch practice?" I was I love it. So I think there has to be all of the above. And I think engaging your team again. We're very very player driven. We just read the hard hat you know, by, by John Gordon. And, and we read it together. We called it book club and we had a couple of zoom calls over break and a mammoth meeting. When we came back where we talked about the 21 emphasis of George Boriardi and what that meant for us and how we could apply some of that stuff to our culture on and off the field. So I think it's books, it's podcasts, it's going to watch other practices. I think it's collaborating in the office. I think it's being creative. You know, that's one of the things I really love about sharing an office with Richard Carrington is we we're always bouncing ideas off each other and getting up on the board and, you know, talking about what we heard last night on a podcast, whether it be a soccer or football or lacrosse or, or whatever, basketball. Um, yeah. I, I think it's all the above. I think there's so much out there that if you're not continually educating yourself and your staff and looking for opportunities to learn and grow, then you're going to get passed by. Yeah, and it really is the fun part, uh, you know, is to keep learning because it's more fun to be creative as a coach, too. You know, you want to be multiple in the way that you do things um, and the right. drills that you invent or learn or come across um, and looks that materialize uh, that you're like, wow, that was pretty sick. We, we got to put that one in. <laughs> yeah. And then that's and again, like to, to live through our, our our identity and our core values, like we're, we're definitely that's how we become multiple. You know, we definitely. We steal a lot from other coaches, you know, and I think that's that's what what's really great about our game is there's there's a lot of creative coaches out there and they're doing some really cool things. And when you when you come across it, you're like, wow, that's that is awesome. Uh, and you've you've always been someone I've looked up to in that way. Like, you know, even at Colorado College, you're at Mountain Vista doing some really cool things. And I remember watching a couple games and stealing a couple things. And, you know, you, you were pretty on the cutting edge with with how you kind of designed your your teams uh, at Denver uh, as well. So um, I think I think you and I share that same passion for for growing as a coach, growing as a X's and O's coach, yeah. as a recruiter. There's so many great ideas that these coaches have that you can really learn from and steal from the, the, to make you and your program a lot better. Yeah, it is so fun to go watch other people practice and stuff, too, isn't it? I love it. I love it. It's just the pressure's off, right? You just get to soak it all in. It's 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 so much fun. I, I loved I loved uh, the opportunities we had in the fall. Yeah, it, it was really neat. Uh, Andy Shea was 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 it was awesome. I'd never seen Yale practice before, and I was just like blown away at some of the drills yeah. they were doing and yeah. how they were moved, like how they how they communicated, you know, and articulated their you know their strengths and what they were looking for for each drill. I thought it was something we really took away. Is like you, you see know, their four corners uh, drift drill. I, we did. I, 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 we're we're going to run that this week. I love that drill. I, I, I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of the drift. It's because like the last couple of years in particular, yeah. I, I I just love it. I think there's so much to it. There's so much nuance to it as well that if you get really good at it, it's tough. It is so hard yeah. to defend. You know, it when is. you do different options with the, you know, the, the swivel picks and the, the 
pass down picks. I mean, there's so much to it, like flyby slips. Yeah. Um, and then you just make that, that defender, you know, it just makes it's so, so hard to make decisions as a drifting defender. You know what I mean? It is. Did you notice that? Um, I forgot to mention this on, on the podcast I did with him a couple of weeks ago, but how, like when he brings it in, the guys all drop their sticks. Yep. I did notice that. Yeah. I, I actually like, don't know why they just they... stick around with their sticks the whole time and they're not even listening. So I just make them. Is, drop that, why, their sticks. is that why he does it? Yeah. So, so, that's so funny. Cause we actually, we were driving home, uh, coach kept Richard and I, my assistant. And I was like, I forgot to ask him why they dropped their sticks. <laughs> so we never knew. I, that's the first I'd heard of it. That's, that's hilarious. It is pretty funny. What'd you yeah. learn at Providence? Um, I actually, I, I, I didn't make the trip to Providence. Uh, coach Carrington made it down there. Oh, cool. but he said, he's, he said, coach Benson's runs a really good practice. Not a lot of standing around really like high intensity, you know, quick between drills. Uh, he said it was a great session. He said it was great. Awesome. All right. Last topic before we, uh, move, before we say goodbye, um, let's talk a little bit about recruiting. So what's your philosophy on, on, on the kind of players you want, um, and maybe you could give us a little hint on that, you know, big picture, but, but give us a little position by position, uh, what you're kind of thinking about and looking at and, and where do you find these players? Right. Right. Well, uh, luckily enough here at Amherst, we, we've got great, you know, great support uh, with our, with our department, with our alumni um, top to bottom. So we can, we can recruit nationally where we, you know, we have three, you know, full-time coaches, including myself. So we get on the road pretty good in the fall and in the spring. So we're able to evaluate all the big events, all the good events, any event we really want to go to, we're going to be at. So I think it starts with, with, with the support that we get, which is really crucial to recruiting nationally um, because it's such a selective school and such a very, um, very quality academic school. You know, we, we have to start with a pretty big pool uh, and whittle it down to who can actually get accepted. Uh, who's good enough to play here. But the third component is is definitely the most important com- component is character. Uh, you've got to make sure as a coach, and, and I, I preach it to my staff, we've got to get to know our recruits. We've got to get to know them. We spend a lot of time with them on the recruit visits. Um, we really do. We ask hard questions in the office. You know, um, we do. Like it's what? important you, you, you drill down. On, on what these people are and who, who, what they really stand for and will they fit into your culture and will they be a positive member of our community? And we call every coach. If they, if they're a three sport athlete, we call three coaches. We call their college counselor, every single recruit that we are in advanced conversations with, we are going to talk to everyone that's had a, a really positive role or, or a really high role in their life to really try and understand what they're all about, because we can't introduce someone who's not, in our, you know, not, not in the understanding of what we're all about here. And that's not going to be a positive member of our team. So that's huge for us is making sure we understand who they are as people first and foremost. And then obviously the lacrosse piece and the, and the academic piece are, are going to take care of itself. Before so you move on, give me an example of how you, what kind of tough questions you might ask in an interview. Uh, who's really important in your life. What does the word family mean to you? Uh, if you had a teammate that was in trouble, how would you communicate with them? You know, it's we interview these guys, you know what I mean? Because we need we need them to understand how important that is. And we talk about our core values in every recruit meeting. You know, we ask for their core values and sometimes they might get a little flustered. Well, coach, I haven't really thought of that. You break it down. What's important to you? You're not as a lacrosse player. What's important to you and your family? You know, what what what, what does your family stand for? You know, th- these are questions that, that we need answers to before we introduce them into our culture. 
Do you ever, uh, do you ever uh, ask the parents questions and see what kind of answers they give you? No, we try and have the parents not answer as, as much. <laughs> as anything. They, they, they tend to try and jump in a little too much as it is. Um, but it's but it's good. I, I actually enjoy getting to know the parents because oh, no in, in a lot of cases, the apple doesn't too far, fall too far from the tree. So it's, I think exactly. It's, it's funny, though, when you when they start throwing their high school coach under the bus, you know who's next. Exactly. And I think like how how the how the recruit treats their parents is a great indicator. For sure. So I think like that dynamic as you walk around with them, as you sit down with them, you know, I, I try to like observe the, the interactions they have with each other. Uh, because I, I think that can tell you a lot about a person, you know. Totally. Um, all right. So, you know, while we're on these intangibles, before you start talking position by position, how do you figure out a way to recruit a smart player? I think you've got to you got to evaluate them a lot. You know, I think as we we have, you know, we have a, a top prospects board and then we have what we call a go after board. You know, the top prospect won't turn into a go. A go after is obviously our top recruits. So a top prospect won't belly up to that go after board unless we've been able to, to evaluate them enough where we believe he's a smart player. Um, so you have to evaluate him a lot. And, and that's the tough part, right? There's so many good players and we're at all these different events. Um, but that's why we have those, those, the, that big board is to make sure that before you graduate to that go after board, we've zoomed in and we know that you're a smart player on the field. You've yeah. got to see like, where he's looking, where he's looking when the ball's on the backside. Is he just staring at the ball or is he looking at his defender? Is he looking at the, all the other defenders around him? Defensively, you know, is he communicating the right things to his teammates? You know, is is he in the good position off ball? Um, you know, how he how he communicates with his teammates, I, can, can, I think can often display his IQ defensively. Um, offensively, like, you know, obviously, like, is he telling his teammates things that are constructive to the offense? You know, that, that can be a really good indicator of whether he knows what he's doing or not. So I think those are kind of like little nuanced things that can help you understand if he's a smart yeah. player or not. But I also think talking to their coaches, yeah. you know, and we have to have great relationships with high school coaches, with club coaches. Um, and we want them to be really honest with us. We just ask those two, the questions. Is, is he a smart player? What are his strengths? Is, is his IQ one of his strengths? And I think they can, they get to coach him every day. And we, there are a number of good club and high school coaches that I've, I've developed a lot of trust for, where, where I believe that they're telling me the truth when they say this kid's a really smart player, he's savvy, he's got a good IQ. So, and, and I would imagine that you're looking for players that are multiple. Correct. I mean, just skill set wise. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not, not every coach. No, um, I mean, but yeah, doing different stuff. I mean, exactly. Using, I mean, no, I, I love, I love seeing creative players. I, they, they, they definitely are. Those are the guys that are at the top of the go after board, the guys that you just don't know what they're going to do. Like, holy cow, that, that kid just backhand, you know, came around the, you know, the goal, got two steps above the goal and then and turned it into a question mark. Like, oh, I've never seen him do that before. And like, we we try and like take as many notes as possible. So like one tournament, you saw him score a question mark and inside roll. Next tournament, he had the best rocker you saw all summer, you know, like, so I think like taking note of, of what that person has done, how he's scoring or defensively, what kind of plays is he making? Is he just making the the on-ball slide turnover, or is he also like cold sliding and getting the ball on the ground? Is he like doubling picks in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a really good way as opposed to doubling with, to his face or something like that? So I think like taking a lot of notes and recruiting and, and, and observing them making different types of plays, definitely that makes them more attractive to, to uh, us in recruiting for sure. Communication is, I totally agree, such a, a great indicator, as is deception. 
which is basically nonverbal communication with your right. opponent, you know, to be able to recognize what the affordances are being offered and to be able to take advantage of them by looking something off or baiting somebody into doing something that, that requires, you know, thought and anticipation mm -hmm. and some control. Yeah, um, your, your smartest players are definitely your most deceptive players. That's yeah. I think that's been a constant yeah. um, I've been able to observe for sure. Both sides of the ball too. Yeah. So how is it that coaches end up spending so much time at all-star games and, and showcases as opposed to high school and club? You know, if you were to look at the spectrum of team play where the, the ultimate in being smart is rewarded through team play itself would be high school. And then to a club team that plays as a team, then down to, you know, the showcases and all-star games where you can definitely see physical ability and you can probably see some level of, uh, of communication and deception and things like that, but you're just so limited yeah. because there's just less passing and less teamwork. Um, how do you view that? Um, even though, you, you know, you, you need to see it all, but how do you, how do you, prioritizing your recruiting and then how do you manufacture that if at all at your own prospect camps? No, I think, I think we, we always ask for a high school film, you know, cause I do think it's, it, it's not always the, the best indicator of who that person is as a, as a player, when you watch them play with their club team or when you watch them at a showcase where they just threw, you know, 15 guys over there and told them to go play lacrosse together um, I think that's it's hard to show your creativity when you're playing with a bunch of guys you don't know, um, you know, because to showcase creativity, you need five other guys to help you out. That's what lacrosse is. Right. So yeah. I think that's the hard part. And the fact that we're in season when they're in season, we don't get to see them in their like natural habitat of, of their high school team with relationships that they've developed, a coach that's out there six days a week with them with great trust and great relationships. So I do think it is hard. That's the challenge when it you is. go and watch a club team. So I think you have to, you have to just really trust some of the, the club coaches that you trust. You know, we definitely, because we want it, we want them to be able to articulate uh, uh, recruit strengths, but sometimes we may not always see it, um, yeah. but you try and, you try and find the, the skill set that, that that's attractive to you. You try and find a, you know, a, a good athlete at the midfield. You try and find a creative um, high IQ attackman. You try, you try to find that defender with great feet and great communication, you know, and that can all, like you said, that can all, that can be tough to do when all you're doing is watching them at showcases and, and club events. That's why we all, we, we require that they send us a high school film because I want to see them. And again, film doesn't dictate all, but I'd like to see them in an environment that I haven't seen them in, which is their most comfortable yeah. environment, you know? So that's important to us. And then in, in uh, at our prospect camp, I think, um, you know, you, you've got to do a bevy of different drills. You've got to do so many different things that allow a player to showcase its strengths. Maybe he's not a great one-on-one -on -one player. So doing one-on-ones and six-on-six -on -six may not be able to illustrate his strengths, but by doing some five-on-four drills, you start to see, holy cow. This guy's this guy's great when after a like post slide. This guy's right. great extra man. So I do think there's a lot of different ways you can do it. But but we throw a lot at our prospect campers and um, and when I'm you know involved in a at a showcase or at a clinic, I try and you know if I only have 40 minutes, I try and do you know four or five different drills. They're all different components to it, so I can allow that athlete to show me what he's got. Yeah, and not just in one drill, a one on one or a four on four. So I think that's important. The environment 
oftentimes uh, dictates it allows um, the ability for the recruit to be multiple. Correct. It's kind of Absolutely. funny too, because if you look at the one, it, you know, the, the, the spectrum would be team play, the ultimate at, in high school to the, uh, to no team play would be, you know, at a, at a showcase and club is somewhere in the middle, but sometimes you get people that are so structured on offense that it doesn't allow anybody to be multiple at all. Cause they're only allowed to just, they're pigeonholed into one little role. And, um, yep. you know, whereas, you know, sometimes in, in the ultimate and free play, if you just roll a bunch, roll the ball out there, but you got a bunch of kids that are actually pretty good, they actually might do things, you know? So it's, so it's almost like uh, being able to see the kids um, be multiple, but it might require that you see them in multiple environments as well to really get an idea of what, what they can do. Yeah, and I think, and I think that's why, and it's again, it's it's a it's it's a lost art, but uh, the the multiple sport athlete, uh, and like right. you, said, just just like free play, going and playing, you know, basketball in the backyard. Um, but but like I I love hockey guys, I love basketball guys, I love soccer, football guys. I I love I love the two and three sport athlete because they're gonna have a, a different way of doing things that they learned from their other sport. And right. they also have been coached in different ways and they've had different roles on, on different teams. So they know right. how to be a better teammate. So that's another thing that we look for. It's if we've got a recruit a and recruit B and they're both in our opinion, the same level, you know, if recruit A's plays three sports, we're probably going to go with recruit a, you know, just because we can count on his, uh, his variants and the fact that he's had different coaching and different experiences in different sports. Yeah. And trying to recruit their ability to get better. Right. Mm. I mean, that's, that's, that's one of the hardest things, right. Is, you know, you're trying to project. So yeah, really cool stuff, Sean. Thank you so much for coming on. And um, I wish you guys the best of luck in uh, 2023. Looking forward to uh, seeing you guys play. When do you open up? Uh, March 4th against Hamilton. We've got a couple scrimmages coming up, but that's the, that's the opening date at Hamilton. So Really excited. And thanks, Jamie. I'm a big fan of the show. I love what you're doing and thanks. really appreciate you having me on. Awesome, Sean. Have a good one. Let's keep in touch. Great. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks.